Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, very happy to have you. I, I just, I, I got to start with this because I'm, I'm, well, first of all, I need you to know at the beginning of the next hour, Governor Chris Christie is going to join me. Um, I, I I'm I'm laughing and, and Bill, if you're listening, don't take offense to this because I'm not laughing at you. We we had a good conversation, but uh, so I put the clip up on on Twitter. Uh, my point last hour, if you're just tuning in, is that the media can find you, you name the most random uh, category of person in the on the planet, and the media will find that person to do a sympathetic profile. But you and I know someone with an electric car struggled to evacuate from the hurricane because they couldn't find a charge station. And I meant when the power was on and you could still easily go get gas or electricity at the charge station to be able to evacuate. And someone struggled because there weren't enough spaces, there weren't enough high-powered chargers to be able to get enough charge in, and, and they struggled to get out. The media will not even go look for that person because they don't want to tell the story. Like in the wintertime, they don't want to talk to the person up up in uh, the, the upper Midwest with the electric car in the wintertime who can't get to work and back because it's so cold their battery won't hold a charge. You know, that's true. In cold weather, uh, the electric cars don't hold charges. They're not going to talk to those people. Well, so Bill called into the, into the last segment. And he's like, aha, um, what about when the power's out? I mean, you can't run, you can't fill up with gas either, except... If you go down I-75 or I-95 or on I-10 in hurricane areas of Florida, South Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and the like, a lot of the gas stations along the interstate have diesel generators so that even though the power might have gone out, you're still – the pumps still work. You can still get the gas out of the ground. That doesn't work with an electric charging station, and people forget about that. So so Bill and I had that conversation, and he wasn't thinking about the diesel generators. Well – the number of left-wing trolls on Twitter after I put that up, clip uh, you can't fill up with gas when the power's out either because they don't have power. It's like, you people clearly do not live in areas of hurricanes. I grew up in Dubai. It's become a joke around here, folks. Um, in the summertime, Louisiana, South Louisiana. My parents live in South Louisiana. I, I'm I'm from there. I live in middle Georgia now. I've got lots of family in Florida. I have been in many hurricanes in my lifetime. Gas stations, particularly along interstate corridors in the South, have diesel generators. They can fill up the diesel generator and run the generator to keep the gas station gas flowing when the power goes out for people dealing with hurricanes and major storms. Is actually something that's done. And what's remarkable to me are the number of people who don't live in the South who, when I say this, they're like, yeah, I, I'm calling your bluff because you don't have power at the gas station either. Oh, my gosh, people. 
I don't. I, so I'm in my office today. Uh, everything's shut down around here. Restaurants and businesses are closed. The hurricane's blowing through. If you see any videos from today, you'll know they're from today because it's just, I mean, I'm looking out the, the window behind me and it's kind of settled down right now. Uh, but it's still raining. You can see the rain out there. Um, it's way better than it was. The storm is now moving to the east. Uh, probably a little bit of an overreaction in my area. Uh, but we're expecting uh, higher winds this afternoon after all the rain. So trees are going to fall down this afternoon. Um, they're, 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 it's been raining since early morning with the hurricane. The ground is soft. The wind is starting to pick up as it starts to move to the east. Uh, and so we're expecting trees to fall over. My wife says our backyard is flooded. Um, so it's going to be a mess around here. But I, I just, I'm, I'm, the number of people who just, I mean, it, it, they even lack just basic empathy to be able to try to understand what's going on. Well, in Florida, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has been up since 4.30. I made a prediction yesterday on the program. I said what was going to happen was the media would pounce on Ron DeSantis for accepting federal disaster relief. Now, you should know the hurricane has largely moved out of Florida now. Uh, it came on shore, Category 3. It picked up some strength at the end. I'm looking right now. The eye of the storm is over Homerville, Georgia. Uh, it is just to the east of Lakeland, Georgia. It is in Homerville, it's headed uh, towards Waycross, Blackshear. Those of you listening in Brunswick, you're you're through most of it, but you're going to get some of the storm coming through, and it's going to go up the East Coast a little bit, back out to sea. But the parts of Florida where it came in on the on the bend, uh, Steenhatchee, uh, Horseshoe Beach, Swanee, Cedar Key, those areas down there, they're cleared out now. But there's a lot of flooding. There's a lot of coastal flooding. There's been a lot of damage. Um, the, 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 the governor had an a, a oak tree fell on his house. Uh, this happened just a little while ago at a press conference. The governor now talking about the damage and a reporter uh, let him know about the damage to his house. Is your wife and kids okay? We're fine. It's, in fact, uh, she called me probably about 45 minutes ago and told me this is a really... I guess, ancient oak tree split in half and part of it fell. I don't know that it fell on like the residence per se. I think it was a little bit off to the side. Uh, so that's going to be cleared. I, I don't know if they're going to have to cut down the whole tree. Uh, if they do cut down the whole tree, that's just going to be more room for uh, my kids to hit baseballs in. And so in some respects for us, even though the tree was nice, uh, we'll probably make do and just be, 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 be uh, quite all right. So he's dealing with the emergency management preparation down there, and the media is already attacking DeSantis for federal disaster relief. Um, and he's working very hard. Here's one more clip from DeSantis. This is from about six minutes ago. Northern part of the state. Uh, so far, there have been 262,000 uh, accounts uh, that had lost power have been restored. And there are more than 250,000 accounts that are currently out of power and in need of restoration. 
Uh, as you'd imagine, the counties that have the highest percentage of power outages are the counties that were in the main pathway of the storm. Counties like Dixie, Levy, Taylor, Swanee, Madison, Jefferson, and Columbia. Utility workers are actively working to restore power in all affected areas. And they have started doing that as soon as it was safe to do so. So those, those restoration efforts are ongoing. Uh, we do anticipate you could have um, that these power outage numbers could go higher, uh, but, but the re restoration numbers are going to go higher as well. So he's doing his job. He's being governor of Florida. The media started this morning. I told you they were going to attack him for federal disaster relief. This is the initial salvo from Politico. President Joe Biden is offering one of his White House challengers hundreds of millions of dollars to spend in his state. The only problem, that opponent refuses to take it. The Inflation Reduction Act makes Florida eligible for some $350 million in, emergent, in energy efficiency incentives. But Ron DeSantis has rejected the funding and other measures, creating the most prominent blockade by any Republican governor against Biden's economic agenda. And there's nothing the White House can do besides hope he changes his mind. The rejection has the potential to create significant ripple effects politically and economically in the coming months. As the president and his cabinet members go around the country boasting about the IRA, rebates for energy efficient purchases, the majority of the funding that DeSantis has refused has played a particularly prominent role. That's not just because they underpin the administration's climate agenda, but because they provide direct rebates to consumers. The IRA allows governors the authority to block a handful of its programs, and with it, the power to blunt the political impact of legislation some Democrats believe will be a key factor in the 2024 election. Through a veto of his legislature's request, DeSantis turned down $5 million to set up the rebate program for consumers who buy energy-efficient appliances and retrofit their homes. It effectively blocked $341 million to fund the program because the state would need the administrative money to apply for the program. So, you know, this happens all the time. We, When I was on city council and Barack Obama was president, Barack Obama provided uh, stimulus money for infrastructure spending. And the city where I was on city council turned down some of the money because the administrative compliance and overhead costs would cost so much, we didn't have the money for the administrative compliance costs to be able to get the money from the grant. So we turned down the money that would have been used for sidewalks and other things. Uh, this is DeSantis's issue here is that the administrative overhead costs to Florida would be so great it wasn't worth taking the rebate money that would have gone to consumers. But the media is already attacking him on this for denying Florida residents money, never mind the state didn't have the money to comply with the program and probably would have had to cut other resources or raise taxes to do it. They, they want to leave that out, but that's actually why he vetoed the program. But the media salvo today, the day the hurricane hits Florida, the media is already opening the salvo. And yesterday you had the Associated Press going after DeSantis, claiming that it was his rhetoric that provoked a racially motivated shooting in Jacksonville, Florida. They don't want to give the man any credit. They are trying to shape the race to be a Biden-Trump race. They want to assail DeSantis. Tomorrow, as more and more people wander out of their houses or return home having evacuated and see the damage and destruction, the media will be there putting cameras in their faces, shouting about Ron DeSantis. They will do everything possible they can to attack him and blame him 
and cover anything wrong. Remember when the, the bad hurricane came through last year and the bridge in Tampa, uh, or it was the bridge in, uh, further down there, Sanibel Island, somewhere down there, the bridge got washed out. And DeSantis had it reopened in, what, a matter of days? Had the bridge rebuilt. They were taking thinking it would take months. He had it rebuilt in days so people could get back and check things. The media was willing to credit him then, but now he's actually a candidate for president. They don't want to credit him. They don't want to give him any benefit of the doubt because he's now a challenger to their precious. He's now a potential challenger to their precious, and their precious is not Joe Biden per se. The media's precious is a Trump-Biden rematch because the media believes with all their heart that Trump is the only Republican Biden can beat, so they're trying to shape the field to put Trump back into the, the nomination because the media genuinely believes they got to protect America from Donald Trump. They're trying to make sure Donald Trump gets the nomination because they're convinced that Donald Trump can't beat Joe Biden. So they will attack Ron DeSantis. They will attack his governance. They will attack his handling of this hurricane in a way they did not the last time. They will attack him for his not getting the federal funds for uh, climate rebates. And then they're going to attack him starting tomorrow for a request for disaster relief. They're already attacking Marco Rubio, as a matter of fact, today. Marco Rubio has suggested it would be easier and smoother if Congress separated Ukraine funding from Florida disaster relief. The media and the Democrats don't want to separate the funding of Ukraine from Florida. To help Florida, you must help Ukraine. That's the position of the Democrats in Washington. And the media will defend that position that in order to help your fellow citizens in Florida, you must give Ukraine money as well. I support funding Ukraine. I don't support tying it to funding it to Florida. They're attacking Rubio. They're attacking Rick Scott, the other senator from Florida, for the same objection. They will attack Ron DeSantis as well because he is a candidate who risks beating Joe Biden. And the media cannot have a Republican back in the White House because they would stop the left's agenda from happening in the executive branch. DeSantis in particular has a strong record of firing bureaucrats in Florida, and they don't want him to take that to Washington. He's too dangerous. Remember, the media criticism of DeSantis is he's worse than Donald Trump because he's smarter and gets things done. So they will tomorrow try to eviscerate the guy for his handling of the disaster response in Florida. You just watch. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They can cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. 
Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Hello and welcome. It's Eric Erickson. The phone number 877-973-7425. So a friend of mine just sent me a note and said, I'm missing uh, a key data point that would be helpful. Uh, the Florida legislature, in, after the 2005-2006 hurricane season, passed a law that you, if you're a gas station on an evacuation route in Florida, you got to have a, um, you got to have diesel generators. So if the power goes out, people can still get gas in their vehicles. So all these people, it's, it's very funny. The, the left is reacting so viscerally and defensively about their electric cars on Twitter. It's like, well, I mean, what if they run out of gas? Oh, oh, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I said if if, if you're trying to evacuate, you've got so many limited uh, charge stations for electric cars, and they take so long, it's going to hinder your evacuation. Well, I mean, what if the power goes out of the power? That's not what I was talking about. I was talking about the pre-power outage evacuations. But okay, let's talk about that. Those stations, gas stations, have diesel generators. And now I've just learned that by law in Florida, they have to have them. Well, what if they run out of gas? That's, again, that's not what I was talking about. They might run out of gas. But you're more likely to find a gas station with gas when the power is out and, and you can still fill up the gas. Uh, then you are to find a uh, charge station for an electric car when the power is out that has power to fill up the, I mean, come on, people. The apologetics of the battery-powered car people. If you want one, get one. I would actually like to have one. But we're also dealing with reality, and the reality is as much as you like your car, when the power goes out because of a hurricane in Florida, the gas stations will still have power thanks to diesel generators, and the power charge stations for the electric cars will not have power. When you are in the upper Midwest in the wintertime, your car will lose charge because it's cold. And you know who benefits the whole time anyway? China. All you're doing is rewarding China with your rare earth minerals and your battery-powered car. You're benefiting China, not us. You're benefiting the national security of China, not us. You know, we'll get into this later. Elon Musk um, is trying to uh, expand in China. Uh, Meta, Facebook, uh, just shut down a Chinese disinformation ring on Meta. Um, I don't think Twitter would do that, given just how aggressively Elon Musk is courting the Chinese. But, I mean, just keep perspective, people. God bless you in your battery-powered car. But if there's a hurricane, you got a problem or a snowstorm. Now, with interest rates as high as they are, and by the way, I don't know if you've heard Jerome Powell saying interest rates are probably going to go up some more. You got bank turmoil out there with the real estate market. You got the ebbs and flows of the stock market. Precious metals might be able to help just kind of ease the ebbs and, and flows of, of your of your stock portfolio, investing in precious metals. And Swiss America wants to make it easy for you. They're the leader and have been for 40 years in precious metal investing in the United States. Right now, they're offering you guys beautiful walking liberty half dollars. Amazing low price, $13.50 each. It's a great gift for your kid or grandkid, a great way to get into precious metal investing. You can also get from them their report, The War on Cash. You should read it. Very impressive um, how they've documented an aggressive governmental response to try to get you out of holding on to cash. Bad news if that happens. Get all of this by calling them 800-289-2646 or go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. 
Then you mention Eric when you call or text 800-289-2646 or visit SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. Message and data rates may apply when you call or text 800-289-2646, but call them or text them, ask about me, get the half dollar, the Walking Liberty half dollar. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation from rainy parts of Georgia today as Hurricane Adalia is downgrading slowly but surely towards a tropical storm as it blows through. I'm just, I'm looking outside right now and I mean, there's no blue sky. You can see just kind of waves in the clouds. It's been raining here since before nine o'clock this morning. The wind has settled down right now. But we're expecting the wind to pick up here in the next hour or so where I am uh, as it blows through. But I'm in a good building with generator and underground utilities and hadn't really worried about um, having to, to power outages. My wife said at the house the power flickered for a little while. Uh, but we're pretty stable here. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about other stuff. Um, I, I want to talk about a, a it, it appears to be a local story, but it's not. It's actually made national headlines. It's in in the Washington Post, and and it's part of a a larger issue. When I got started in in talk radio, and most of you, I think, know the story. I was was not a radio guy. I was a lawyer and uh, was on CNN at the time as a conservative political analyst back when they actually had real conservatives regularly on. And I got asked to fill in on a local radio show and is a cumulus station, WMAC, in Macon, Georgia. Uh, the local radio show host got arrested in a crack house, said he was doing a rap label. Um, apparently, they, they found drugs there. They arrested him. And they um, just just like I say a crack house, but he was it was weed. Um, and But it was a crack house. <laughs> so. I, I They called and said, hey, could you do this for a day? I'd never done radio before. I said, sure, um, I'd give it a try. And, well, the day became three days, became three months. I He got fired. I stayed for three months. They paid me in an expired gift certificate to Outback Steakhouse. I knew it was an expired gift certificate when I took my wife on a date with this gift certificate, and they rejected it, and I had to pay cash. And um, But while it happened... The president of Cox Media Group was uh, driving through Middle Georgia, heard me on the radio, and uh, had the the talk consultant for Cox Media Group, uh, Greg Mosheri, good friend of mine, had him reach out. I didn't know who this guy was and wanted him to put me on the weekend and on WSB in Atlanta. I was like, I, I've already got three jobs. I don't I don't need a fourth job on the weekend. I'm barely seeing my family as it is. They said, would you fill in for Herman Cain? I said, yeah, well, Herman run for president. They told me they actually wanted me to, to be his job. I, I didn't tell them I wasn't a radio guy until after I signed the contract. And I've been doing it ever since. This is now the longest job I've ever had. I went from overnights to drive time within six months, moved into Rush Limbaugh's slot when he sadly passed away a couple of years ago and, and expanded nationwide. And when I first got started, the station was very concerned about having a radio show host who lives in Macon, Georgia, which is an hour outside the city, do a show uh, about Atlanta and about uh, the, the the metro Atlanta area in Georgia. So I subscribed to a magazine called Atlanta Magazine. And I started going to the local restaurants that Atlanta Magazine said were worth eating at. And it has never disappointed me. I finally found my favorite restaurant in the city. It's actually outside the city 
in a in a sleepy little town that's a suburb of Atlanta called Roswell, uh, which is technically a city, but the downtown area is great. Uh, if you ever get to Atlanta, Georgia, you should go to Table in Maine. Uh, it is I, I I love the place. I will show up and just sit at the bar uh, and and grab something to eat. It is my happy place. I go there. I immediately relax. Uh, table in Maine. They, they get the fried chicken. Uh, my gosh, get the fried chicken. Um, but it's it's a great place. And I discovered it from Atlanta Magazine. And Atlanta Magazine, I have noticed over the last several years, I finally stopped subscribing to it. I stopped subscribing to it because I expect, as a conservative, I expect that the people who are in the media and in journalism are left of me. So it doesn't offend me when a singer that I like, like Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam, comes out in favor of Planned Parenthood or or some left-wing cause. I expect him to. He's a celebrity. I am friends with celebrities, all of whom are very progressive. I expect them to be progressive. So I expect that a magazine like Atlanta Magazine that caters to a, a, a well-off demographic of people in Atlanta would be socially liberal. But my gosh, I got tired of it constantly being in my face. I got tired of the Stacey Abrams rah rahism. I got tired of the uh, drag queen nonsense. I, I just, I got tired of they're not promoting Atlanta. They're promoting a subset of Atlanta that I want no part of. I was fascinated, for example, they did a story about how the interstate went through Metro Atlanta. And in going through Metro Atlanta, they made a conscious decision in the 50s and 60s to tear up and divide black neighborhoods. And some of those black neighborhoods, they don't have any grocery stores anymore. Food deserts, they call them. Uh, but it's not its not your standard food desert of, oh, my gosh, I got to get in my car and, and drive to the grocery store. No, it's a food desert where you don't have public transportation even for the poor people who don't own cars that can get them reasonably to a, to a grocery store. It was an eye-opening series. It was eye-opening about how Turner Field, the old Brave Stadium, was built and what it did to a community. It it has been eye-opening to read stories about how uh, upper-income white people have moved into traditionally black neighborhoods in Atlanta and property values have gone up so much it's hurting the traditional families that have lived and held on to these properties forever. It has been eye-opening. And, you know, I, I heard... Oh, what was the guy's name? Uh, he did did uh, Dan, Don Draper on on Mad Men. Um, what's John Hamm? It's his name. He was on with Bill Maher a while back, and he said the thing he's fallen in love with Atlanta. He said the thing that that was eye opening to him about Atlanta is that black and white people eat at the same restaurants, and you never know if your server is going to be white, black, or Hispanic. And it's true. And I started thinking about it when I go to Los Angeles to do HBO. I guarantee you that the wait staff is probably not going to be white at the restaurants that I eat at. And I guarantee you that you're very rarely in a restaurant filled with white people going to see a black or Hispanic person. But in Atlanta, you go to any restaurant. Your waiter may be black or white, male or female. You're, you're be surrounded by black and white people. It's very noticeable how integrated the dining scene is in Atlanta. And it's things like this that, that I appreciated about Atlanta Magazine. But the wokes have ruined the magazine, and the publisher has had enough. And the publisher 
is now being browbeaten by the reporters and the editorialists who are leaking the trauma to the Washington Post. Just And this is, I use this as a microcosm because I'm familiar with it, but this is a national trend. Let me just, just read you this. On a hot Tuesday in late June, staffers at Atlanta Magazine gathered for a tense meeting with longtime publisher Sean McGinnis. On his agenda, pronouns. Are we, as a matter of fact, now writing stories based upon preferred pronouns, McGinnis asked, citing to a recent profile of a labor organizer. She is referred to as they throughout the story. One editor responded that using pronouns corresponds with the subject's identity as standard journalistic practice, not a left or right thing. The publisher disagreed, according to a recording of the meeting obtained by the Washington Post. People will think that that is taking a stance. It is hardly the first time colleagues have disagreed over editorial choices in Atlanta or elsewhere in the media industry where business concerns, personal politics, and news judgment often come into conflict. But McGinnis's statements and subsequent requests to approve editorial content ahead of publication marked a tipping point in a small-scale culture war that has been building for a few years within the award-winning magazine. Staffers saw the interference as an egregious crackdown on coverage that management deems as too progressive at a time when they are resolved to reflect the evolving reality of Atlanta, one of the blackest, queerest cities in the South. Now, three of six full-time editorial staffers have resigned, citing untenable corporate interference, and the editor-in-chief has announced plans to retire at the end of the year. Any journalist would feel challenged to work in a place where the line between the edit side and the business side is as eroded as it's become this year. Departing deputy editor Sam Worley wrote in his resignation letter this month, the editorial independence is the bedrock of what we do and it's why readers trust us. McGinnis did not respond to repeated messages and emails. His current and former employees say they're concerned that their longtime boss's perception of Atlanta's leftward drift is based less on his own opinions than on orders from his bosses, the owners of a Michigan-based publishing company that purchased Atlanta and several other regional magazines, who, McGinnis told them, believe woke coverage is bad for business and wants it to stop. I just want to say as a long-time subscriber. I canceled my subscription, or at least I failed to renew my subscription because I got tired of what I considered in-your-face wokeism. I don't mind the progressive politics that have been um, placed in Atlanta Magazine, but I do resent like hell the war on the English language from the pronoun set. They can say it's standard journalistic procedure to use someone's preferred pronouns, but it's standard journalistic procedure because the journalists who decided to do it are woke. Reading about a woman who uses they, them pronouns is a confusing amalgamation of wars on the English language. I mean, it, it is a land war, a sea war, an air war, and a war on words all combined to read they, them, zer, and, and he, they, she, it. Wow, it makes no sense. And it is a left-wing editorial choice. It is an editorial choice, but it's of the left. I don't really care to see Drag Queen Story Hour promoting brunch time in Atlanta Magazine. Uh, one as if it's related to the other. No, it is an editorial choice to signal I'm with them, I'm on a side. 
I know what side you're on. It's obvious to me, and I still chose to subscribe until you decided to make it in my face. You lost my subscription because you couldn't just be a standard left-wing publication. You had to plant the flag and say, I'm on this particular side, and all of my editorial choices will favor this particular side at the expense of fairness to the other side. It's a nationwide problem. I don't know Sean McGinnis, the publisher. Never met the man. Betsy Riley, the outgoing editor I've had on my program before to talk about the food desert issue that I was fascinated by because it's a historic quirk of Atlanta how that came about. And a lot of racism was involved in making the decisions, even though a lot of people would prefer to pretend otherwise. But this is a magazine that whether they want to admit it or not is mostly subscribed to by the rich people in Buckhead. They get criticism because they say it's it's a Buckhead magazine, but it's it that's where the subscription base is. You stay at a nice hotel in Atlanta, they're going to have the Atlanta magazine out on the table to tell you where to go eat, what the good restaurants are. And this this transcends Atlanta because we're, we're seeing this around the country. It's not just an Atlanta Magazine issue. We're seeing this issue pervasively in journalism now where the left-wing editors come up with left-wing, left-wing rules to write the rules of journalism and then say, well, these aren't left-wing. They're the rules of journalism. Well, they're only the rules of journalism because you're a bunch of left-wing hacks who've decided to steer this. And, and you want proof in the pudding. They decided to leak the story and the audio of the conversation to the Washington Post to do a hit job on the publisher and the publication for steering against the wokes. They need to steer against the wokes. Wokeism is bad for business. The publication is right in thinking so. And I say that as someone who was willing to have the in-your-face left-wing politics of Atlanta Magazine on my coffee table until it became too much to bear. Whether it's Target or Bud Light or these magazines and newspapers across America that are slowly going out of business. It has everything to do with you people who write these publications and think yourself high and mighty have decided that your left-wing politics can be rubbed in the rest of our noses with impunity, and you will go to war against the English language to humor some insane person who refuses to acknowledge that they were born male or female and decide they want to be something different. And you'll give the pass to the Antifa activists who are burning down our city in America just so you can virtue signal and plant your flag on one side. You want to plant your flag on one side? I don't have to subscribe to you. And when you go out of business, it's your fault, not my fault, because you couldn't figure out how to thread the needle and walk a fine line between planting a flag in your politics and not rubbing it in my face all the time. If you go out of business, I'll find somewhere else to get my restaurant picks from. Now, we got to move on. Let me tell you about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Maybe they need to fire these up at the magazine's offices and get rid of the they-thems. I don't know that they capture the they-thems in the air, but it sure would be nice. Uh, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm gets rid of the pollen and the dust. It will eliminate odors. You can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC. You get three of these. What do they do? Well, you got a mildewy smell, a musty smell, a dead animal smell, smoke odors, litter box odors, pet odors, you name it. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm wipes out those odors. That's small. You hold it in your hand. I have one in my travel bag whenever I travel in case someone smoked in a rental car or in a hotel room. I can wipe out the odors. 
EdenPureDeals.com is the website. The discount code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Get three of them for less than $200. You're saving $200 and you get free shipping. Welcome back. My favorite seminary professor one time said, uh, be weary of any theologian who has an answer for everything. The reason he said that is there are real mysteries in theology. Is God, for example, supralapsarian or infralapsarian? That is, did, did God design the, the path of resurrection through Christ before the fall or after the fall? We, we, we don't really know. I, I think before, I think it was all part of the plan, but we don't really know. We, we don't really know why he uh, put man in the garden and, and allowed uh, the, the, the devil in. We, we don't really know. We have theological speculation, but we don't know. Beware anyone who has definitive answers for everything. That gets me to the climate cult. So I put up the clip from earlier in the show about battery-powered vehicles. And battery-powered vehicles, people were struggling to charge them to evacuate from Florida. The media is not going to go interview those people because they don't want to highlight the fact that uh, in an evacuation situation, an electric car is, is more inconvenient than a gas-powered car. And they are flailing about to try to come up with hypotheticals to, to make it just bad. What about the gas stations that run out of gas? I never said that. I was talking about the pre-evacuation routine. What, what about the gas stations that run out of power? That you got, got to have power for the pumps. And in Florida, there's a law that you got to have diesel generators along evacuation routes if you have a gas station to keep the power flowing so people can put gas in the car, but not at charging stations. They don't want to deal with the issue as presented. They want to come up with wild scenarios, and they're all falling flat. And they think they have all the answers because they are a cult. Only cults have definitive answers for every single scenario. And we're dealing with a lot of cults these days, chief among them the climate cult.